Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the GeoMob podcast. My guest today is Ken Hart, the CEO of Snowdrop Solutions. Ken, welcome to the show. Terrific to be here. Thanks for having me. Briefly introduce yourself. What exactly is Snowdrop Solutions? What do you guys do? Well, Snowdrop's been around for a couple of years. We created the company in 2013, so uh, we are really focused on location and mapping technologies. For the first few years, we were uh, positioned as a Google Maps reseller. So you guys are all familiar, I hope, with the Google Maps APIs. And what we were doing is projects as a consultancy work around that. So we'd provide the Google Maps technology to three key sectors, the real estate sector, the travel and transportation, and financial services. About four years ago, we started also investing in our own products, specifically for the financial services sector, something that we called Merchant Reconciliation API. So we have our own tools and products that built on the Google Maps as well as Google Cloud. So that's what we do. Okay. Give us a sense of roughly the size of the business. How big is the team and, and who's your typical customer? Sure. So we tend to focus, as I mentioned, in Europe and Southeast Asia. Company has well over 100 customers that tend to be large brands, familiar, what we'd say are B2B2C services. So in real estate would be companies like Zoopla, Rightmove, Foxton, CBRE, Knight Frank, et cetera, et cetera. In the travel sector and transportation, they're either what we call OTAs, online travel agencies like Skyscanner, Culture Trip, Secret Escapes, airline companies, EasyJet, British Airways, Ryanair, or hotel chains like Travelodge, Premier, and et cetera. And in the financial services sector, again, we tend to focus on two types of customers. One I'll call is digital banks, or some people in the UK refer to them as challenger banks. So Monzo, Starling, Moniz, Hugo Save, Wirex, et cetera. And we also have more traditional banks as well. So people such as a standard charter bank in Singapore or a couple of the other large traditional banks that you'd see. Those tend to be the backbone of our client base. Okay. And so what these these big brands, obviously, particularly real estate and travel, you know, mapping is a core part of the experience, I would say, or, or let's say location is a core part of the experience. What they they come to you and say, stick some maps on my site or why why are they not using the apis directly and uh you know how hard how hard can it be yeah, yeah. Just slap them out yeah, the yeah and you know the first couple of years you that sort of summarized our business it was like hey you know i need to put a bunch of flats for sale up on you know a map how can i best do that so i would argue early days it was more about you know putting something on a map right you know where are yeah. hotels where are properties for sale etc But what we found is that putting a point on a map and actually creating a user experience that's meaningful can be two very different things. So we spend a lot of work optimizing. So just to give you an example, in the travel sector, if you say, I want to go to central London, stay at this hotel, great, point on a map. What we found is that if you just do that, there's something called a bounce rate. People look at the map and they go, hmm, that's the hotel. What's nearby? I don't see anything. And they'll go over to back to Google Maps. They'll bounce off a company's website. What we did if we said, hey, here's the hotel. Here's what's a a five-minute, 10-minute walk around that. Here's the museums, bars, restaurants, right? So if I wanted to stay at a certain hotel and I could say, here's the British Museum. It's a seven-minute walk away. And we draw the blue line how to get there. Conversions conversions went up by 23%. So again, we move from just plotting 
to actually creating more contextual experiences. And so these are the tools and the expertise we've developed over the number of years. And, you know, something may work in the travel sector and we'll bring it over to the real estate sector. So if you look at something like an Airbnb experience where you're moving around a map, you're panning and the list of hotels or properties are being refreshed. You're seeing now a lot of the real estate companies saying, hey, that's a great user experience. How will that help me increase conversions? How do I do that? So that's where our expertise comes in is you take best practices from one sector and apply it to the next. And and you do this only with Google's tools or, or with whichever mapping suite the customer wants? Or, or what's, what's the relationship that you have with Google? We have a very close, tight-knit relationship with Google. So obviously, we are given sort of access to sneak preview and new technologies. And we know, obviously, the Google stuff really well in the insides and out. Obviously, we, there are occasions where we do use other third-party location components for maybe alternatives, but we usually try and do what we do best using Google. If there's a better alternative, we'll use it. But our our default setting is to try and work with Google Maps and Google Cloud. You know, those are the tools that we know best. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I mean, obviously, they're very impressive tools. I mean, it's funny because I I actually got my own start building a real estate search site back in 2005 when Google Maps first came out. And I, I remember the like, you know, how amazing it was that you could put something on the map or you could drag the map, you know, the whole concept of a slippy map and how quickly we become, you know, now, obviously that's taken for granted, but all the, all the things that we have now that are taken for granted, satellite view and street view and, and all these other types of layers and things and all the data sets that, you know, just kind of drop in. It's, it's amazing yeah. how, how far it's come. I mean, if, if you think about, you know, Google has a huge, I don't know, several billion users of active users in Google Maps constantly giving feedback, right? The data, places, and recommendations, stuff like that. So it's kind of unparalleled because what we're trying to do is cover multiple markets, right? You know, if it was just in the UK, you know, there's a couple of other alternatives. But if you want to do, you know, travel across the world and stuff like that, there really, really is hard to beat an alternative to Google in terms of its coverage. Well, one question in that regard. I mean, you know, now the technology is advancing so fast from just showing a map to like, you know, we've got AR type stuff and all that. Are these big customers, are they pushing for these kind of technological advances or is it more they're more conservative and they just kind of want the tried and true? Well, what's, how, do you, how do you see things there? I, I think it's there's different segments of customers and I, I'm going to overly simplify. Let's take some of the digital banks that I work with. Right. These guys are like, right. look, there's, we don't have legacy we're not stuck with, you know, perfect example. I was speaking with one of my customers in Southeast Asia today, and, you know, it's a big bank. They have 4,000 people that just do compliancy, right? Okay. And, you know, the legacy systems they have in place just hold them back. Whereas if you talk to a challenger bank, they're just like, it's mobile, it's cloud from day one. So what they want to do is gotcha. leverage not just the mapping or the visualization, you know, see where my transaction takes place, but actually all the underlying artificial intelligence, right? You know, make a smart recommendation to me when I'm traveling abroad. Or if you can see that I'm eating at this sushi restaurant every Friday, make me an alternative one nearby if I'm in a walk away to save me some money. So what we're seeing is the enhancement, not necessarily mapping technology per se, but is the underlying smart computing technology, if you will, being embellishing what you can do with these location capabilities. So you may get prompts, nudges, notifications that are more local t- contextualized, right? You know, here's an offer nearby that you wouldn't have previously. So a lot of the smartness is being done in a subtle way, 
is what I would argue. Yeah, that's so difficult though, right? There's such a fine line between the user saying, oh, wow, this is really useful to, this is really creepy or, or just really annoying. You know, you don't want every single shop you walk past. To but, but, but let me give you an example. You let me give you an example. This is Definitely. an anecdote from my life. You know, I show up in, in Kennedy Airport, New York City on a recent trip. I put my Barclays card into the ATM machine to get some money. Denied, yeah. you know, denied. I get a text message from the bank called 0800 to, you know, go through security. Team. Right. 0800 numbers don't work when you're in the U.S. So you think about right. that user experience where like Barclays knows that I've purchased a ticket to New York. It knows they should what they should do instead of say, ping me a little message on my app saying, you know, are you withdrawing $200 from the ATM machine in Terminal 4? If yes, I send yes. I consent to also letting Barclays know that my phone is in front of this ATM machine within five meters. So if you think about the experience from a really dismal, poor experience where I can't even access my own money to where a little bit of, you know, so it's not creepy because I've given my consent. Yes, Barclays, you know, I'm here for the next 10 minutes. Therefore, it's not a fake fraudulent use. Let me have access to my money. Right. That's just a better way of doing things. Yeah, that's a great example. Let, let's actually go a bit deeper on some of the, the work you've been doing for finance because you told me a bit about it recently and it was really fascinating because, I mean, I think the use case in travel and real estate is very intuitive. Everyone gets it. But but what exactly is the use case for a bank? So if you think about where we started a couple of years ago with the likes of Monzo in the UK, they wanted to create a new bank and they said, look, I don't want to create a call center. So what do you mean? It says something like 10 to 15% of all calls to a bank's call center are people going, having a dispute or a question on a transaction they see in their bank statement. So take a step, take a step back for 30 years, you know, your bank statement has been a bunch of gobbledygook, messy data on a piece of paper. And they said, I have an idea. Yeah. It's like, you know, character code or whatever. I Z star, but pad. I'm like, what is that? Okay. <laughs> and so we've gone from that message on paper to that message on a PDF. Hey, progress, but it's still gobbledygook yeah. to, I know a small PDF on a mobile phone screen, but it's still gobbledygook. What we did was we'll change the Starbucks pad into, Oh, you at Starbucks in Paddington in London. Correct. Here's the logo. Here's on a map. And so just giving yeah. people a visualization of where they're spending their money in that transparency builds trust. So when you have customers that are creating new banking experiences that are not beholden to their legacy systems, that can think differently, that can think of their user experience like Deliveroo or Uber as a benchmark and not some existing 300-year-old bank, yeah. right? So that's what we've been doing is creating this transparency and showing not gobbledygook, but actual brands and real merchants on a real map where you spent money. Very cool. Very cool. I could imagine that's very difficult though as well. Every edge case and every, uh, there are differences in, in, you know, I would argue that the startup banks are clearly more agile and able to go quickly. And for them, it is a great way to differentiate. If you're talking to a traditional bank, they're like, well, you know, I'm not sure users want this or it's not a priority for us because, for a number of reasons. So it's a question of moving from over time, a nice to have to a must have. And so if you see yourself as a traditional bank competing with other traditional banks, maybe this is a perceived nice to have feature. But if you see yourself competing with Google pay, Amazon pay, you know, some sort of cryptocurrency on Facebook in the future or WhatsApp payments, 
this is not a nice to have. This is a must have if you're going to be competitive. Yeah, I I think we are getting there that that. I mean, obviously, with COVID, the move to digital has accelerated, and people now expect increasingly everything to just work on their phone and work smoothly and intuitively and know who they are and uh, exactly. But I, I mean, as someone who works on the back end of systems like that, tying all that data together, oh my God, it can be such a nightmare. So yeah, I, I can imagine you must have a lot of headaches. I, well, so. if, if, you know, there's an old argument. If you just do one thing, do it well. And so we've been, we have a whole team just focused on cracking this problem, right? But I'll give you another example where we were talking with a big bank in Southern Europe and the guy was saying, well, you know, we're creating our own database of merchants and we're creating our own search algorithms and we're creating this. I'm like, why bother? You know, a lot of the stuff is out of the box with Google or elsewhere. Right. So a lot of the biggest impediments to doing these things is this idea that everyone has to build, build everything themselves from scratch. So it's just right. not pragmatic sometimes. I don't know. I do think, you know, some people worry about then you have to lock in with someone like Google and, and they're, you know. Google's so gigantic, right? And and as you say, you know, Google themselves is launching Google Pay or, you know, has launched Google Pay. So how do you know, you know, next week they're not going to be your competitor aggressively? So it's a fine line, right? Uh, but I do take your point. Obviously, it's going to be very hard to build your own database and maintain it. And, uh, you know, maybe in your home country, you can do that. But, but rolling that out internationally, yeah. struggle. Yeah. So, the, you know, struggle. that big Andorian bank, you know, good for them. Right. But uh, you know, if you're if you're a global bank or if you have customers that travel quite frequently, you know, it's when people are traveling abroad often that they're afraid of, of fraud and, you know, the transaction problems right. that I talked about earlier. Hey, banking is going through a massive, massive change right now. And there's going to be, you know, hard to predict what this will look like in a couple of years. But I believe that location will not be a nice to have. It'll be one of the core components in detecting, you know, building better user experiences, but also fraud detection and a couple of other areas. And it hasn't been the case in the past, right? This is new. No, I I completely agree with that. I think the days where, you know, every customer gets the exact same experience, those are rapidly ending and you need to adapt and location is a key piece of differentiating there, of course. So, you know, Google, obviously, they're not the only people innovating. We, we see a lot of cool stuff coming from other places. Actually, I, you know, just a couple weeks ago, Apple previewed their new map interface, which was really cool, albeit it was only in the Bay Area. So, you know, some limited utility at this point. But but then, of course, we have things like OpenStreetMap, which is, you know, there's a lot of innovation happening there. And so, so how much are you keeping tabs on all the other players in the space? And what are what are the things that you see that are exciting and interesting. Yeah, I think yeah. one of the things we're doing at is obviously, you know, we use a lot of the other mapping technologies to validate what we're doing. You know, so if something shows up in Google Maps and also shows up in OpenStreetMaps and here and something and Bing, then it probably does exist, right? So yeah. there's a way that you can use additional information to validate and give a sort of level of confidence on something. There's also a whole area of, you know, tracking new things in terms of, location. So you may have unique capabilities like footfall, you know, where do people go? So Google gives a bit of example of that, but they don't make that footfall data available to third parties for a number of reasons, right? But you can get additional third party information from location information from lots of other third parties. And it's really about, you know, using it contextually in an aggregated way that makes sense. So I think this is just going to be a dramatically expanding market and there's going to be lots of, of new roles and, and niche providers out there doing filling gaps. 
So, you know, maybe we're a bit because we we're trying to do things in multiple countries at, at once. Right. So we, we like I said earlier, we have that default setting of working with Google, but by no means are they the only guys out there. Well, let's let's flip that on the head, and it's it's not all positive. All the new uh, features. What are what are the biggest kind of complaints that, or what are what are the biggest gaps in the current location technologies? What are the things that don't really work as as they should, or yeah, or what are what are the stumbling blocks that clients can't get their head yeah, around? Yeah, I guess or? one of the things that comes to mind most readily is the whole notion of how does location and privacy all fit together. So, if I may, this is a legal oh, right. this is a legal one, not a, a technology. So, you know, I've had people say to me, oh, but, you know, people find it creepy or people don't want to see where their transactions take place. And, you know, I think this may be just one of those things that over time just shifts with different generations as well. You know, there may be a generation slightly older that that's very concerned about their privacy and the location. And uh, there are other people out there just, you know, accept that, you know, you share your location when an Uber comes to pick you up. You know, you share your location when a delivery comes to drop off your food and you're going to be sharing your location when you're going to be doing whatever it is in the future. So I think one of the biggest impediments is this notion of privacy. So, you know, just take an example. If you go to Germany, you'll see a lot of people go and request that their homes are kind of blocked out on street view. Right. And and, you know, the whole idea that, you know, using credit cards. No, no, not good. The, the government will know, you know, how I'm spending my money if I use electronic payments. And then you have just a little further north in the Nordics, you know, almost everything is digital. Everything is electronic. Payments. Yeah. So there's just even in a so-called homogenous place like Europe, you have tremendous disparities between the use of location technology and what is acceptable and what is not. Uh, in terms yeah, of other yeah. technologies coming, I think it'll be the intersection of machine learning and location data that we're just at the very beginning of, of how the different applications can, can fall out of this. Right. So okay. don't know what that will look like. It's a, it's an interesting space to watch. Yeah. It's exciting. It's exciting. We said earlier that I think one of the things that's a bit counterintuitive is while we, while we continue to have the kind of visual aha moments and, and that's kind of characterized the revolution in geospatial services in the last 10, 15 years, I think more and more the the technology will become more and more powerful, but the it'll you know it'll be very subtle and on the back end. So you don't you don't maybe don't have that aha moment. It just kind of works, and it just the default is what you would expect, and you don't quite realize that how much effort went into it behind the scenes. Right? Exactly. So you know it's kind of recently we were remodeling a house, and my wife's an architect, and so you walk into the house, and and for some reason it just you're just calm. And my wife will take his son and say, that is aligned with that is aligned with this. And this is this, and this is symmetrical. And she walks through all the work that went into making it. So when you just walk in, your eye is just perceives it as like a calm and there's a natural flow through the house. And when she was explaining, yeah, a lot of work made it simple. And I think that'll be a, a similar exercise where you talk about a discrete nudge or recommendation to do something. And there's a lot of processing power that's gone on behind the scenes to make it simple. Absolutely. It's very, very hard to make things simple. So well, let, let's shift focus a little here. I mean, you mentioned that one of your key categories is travel. And obviously, the, that's you know been a chaotic year over the last, last year. So 
How do you see things evolving there? Is the travel industry coming back? You see, and and what what kind of changes can we expect as as the world comes out of the pandemic? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's been a tough year, and I guess one of the things that I would point to as a change is, and the travel sector is pretty broad. You know, are we talking hotels? Are we talking car rental companies, train companies? You know, taxi companies. You know, yeah. it's a pretty broad area. If I focus mostly on you know, holidays and, and travel, maybe because it's December time right now and hopefully people are doing their trips. I would say there's a huge amount of pent up demand, right? No, right? No. I, I have it. I have it, Ken. I'm ready. Yeah. I go anywhere, any trip. Yeah, I was just on the phone with a couple of colleagues in Singapore. And just as a great example, in Singapore, the attractiveness is that you could go to Vietnam for the weekend or Bali or Indonesia and, you know, right. or you're, you know, but a year and a half, they've been really locked down in Singapore. A lot of them have found it, frankly, quite difficult. But if you look about the pent up demand, so the users want to travel. They just, there's been more confusion than ever, though, where I can go. Where is it safe? How do I get there? Is, are there bars and restaurants open? Is it a green, yeah. yellow, red country zone? Do I need a quarantine when I come back? There's so many shifting variables that it's actually quite confusing for people. So can maps sure. play a role there? Yes, right, and give them people sort of good itineraries where to go and, and time frames and stuff like that. But I think longer term, the difference you're going to see, Ed, will be rather than approaching travel almost like a glossy magazine, ooh, look, another family on the beach with palm trees, right? You know, that's been a very yeah. simplistic way of – promoting travel. They took, again, the Glossier magazine from, I don't know, Condé Nast, and they stuck it up on the website. I think what you're going to see a lot more now is people turning to the internet or doing their planning, certainly on the internet or researching the internet and having a lot of those confusing questions clarified for them. You know, is it safe to get there? How do I get there? Where can I stay nearby? Can I walk around? Am I dependent on public transportation once I'm there? And maps and location plays an essential role in helping that. So if sure. that's from a cons- consumer perspective. From a business perspective, I think the industry in general is looking to be much more about KPIs, conversion rates, et cetera. It's not like, oh, I think this looks good. It's <clears throat> can I demonstrably show that people book because I've added a feature or an embellishment to my site? Just let me give you, you know, I talked about earlier, if you just said, here's the hotel, there's nothing there. People go off to Google Maps to figure out what's nearby. If you say, here's the Mm -hmm. hotel, I know a little about here's the family things or the cultural things or I'm a foodie or whatever the things that interest you nearby and show them how to get there or create an itinerary for them. And then followed by book now, book now, book now, you will definitely see those sort of digital savvy metric, you know, KPI led decisions being made. I think that'll be a big difference between travel post pandemic. People are going to be much more ROI conversion focused than before. Okay. Thanks. This is great getting these insights from someone, you know, you've got your finger on the pulse exactly of all these big brands that are that are implementing location-based services. So uh, very nice. As, as we wrap up, so so what does the future hold for Snowdrop? What's what's What comes next? Any new categories or, or it's more about just carrying, you know, continuing to innovate within these categories or as we come out of the pandemic or what, what's on the menu here for the next months and years? So uh, I think from our products and perspectives, we're going to have our goal is to make our products ubiquitous, right? So, you know, to move from 
you know, a handful of customers to in one region to growing that to make it really easy to get access to our technology. So rather than having to go to Snowdrop, work with our development engineering and get the, you know, the APIs tuned for you and stuff like that, it's really about uh, we're putting in place a number of partnerships to make bring in some additional ecosystem expertise around us. So this expertise is just widespread and ubiquitous. So I think you'll see a lot of effort by Snowdrop to get its products out in as many regions as possible. It's not necessarily growing or doubling the size of the company that would determine the success. It's just making our products easier for people to get their hands on and easier to deploy and easier to figure out the next thing with our products that they can do. So that's really our focus for the next year and a half. I don't know if that okay. gives the clarity or the insight that you'd like, but that's that's our endeavors. No, I think it, it's very interesting because it, at GeoMob, we have a lot of people kind of very up, very much at the cutting edge, you know, hobbyists and or maybe academics or things who are building little experiments or whatever. What I find interesting about the position that you're in is you're really at the kind of implementation phase, getting it out to kind of wide, you know, mass market consumer brands. So it's it's fascinating to hear. I mean, that, you know, the, those services that you're building and putting on, a, you know, an EasyJet website or a, a Zoopla website, I mean, they're going to be used by millions of people, right? So yeah. this is where the actual user inter- user interaction happens. I mean, just to, so, to give you an example, you know, we have a partnership with Visa, for example, both in Asia, back in Europe. So, you know, Visa deals with several hundred banks, each bank yeah. potentially dealing with several million users, you know, dealing with hundreds of millions of transactions a month. That is a lot, right? So I mean, <laughs> if you think about it, right, that's billions of transactions, you know, orders of magnitude, billions of transactions. So imagine someone in your community is saying, hey, if I had that transaction information and combined it with carbon footprint information, imagine I could come with a green carbon point sort of solution. Love to work with those yeah. people, right? So that's what I'm saying, making our tools ubiquitous and having third parties work with us so you don't have to go to our engineering team and figure out how to set this up. That will make it so easy that you can do that through Snowdrop directly or through Visa or one of our other partners. That's kind of where we're trying to get to because, God, that's a big potential out there. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds quite interesting. Well, that, that's very cool. Well, you know, keep us posted. And obviously, we would love to have you or a member of the team come and speak at a GeoMob event at some point and uh, get more involved with the community. So on that note, what's what's the best way for people to learn more and get in touch with uh, you? Just check out snowdropsolutions.co.uk, the website, or look me up, Ken Hart, on linkedin.com. I'm not a big fan myself of Twitter and stuff like that. Apologies for those out there who favor those mediums. That's not me. I got four kids at home and, and uh, you know, that's where my free energy goes into these days. So, <laughs> uh, But in a perfect world, Ed, we'd be meeting up at a pub uh, sometime soon. It's going to happen, Ken. It, 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 it is going to happen soon. So when it does, I look forward to uh, thanking you for coming on the show here by, uh, with, with the beer. You bet. Thanks very much for taking the time, Ken. This has been really a good, great conversation. Enjoy. Thank you. Take care now. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, 
where our handle is Geomob. You can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future Geomop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.